very much for this opportunity that we yet have in our country to freely gather together to look into the one book in all of the world which is really worth every minute of time that we spend in it because we know that thy word is truth and we know that it is truth which sets us free. The scripture says, the Lord Jesus says, if we shall know the truth, the truth shall set us free. And we know that Jesus is the truth. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the center, and he is the sum total and the substance of all of the holy scriptures. And any prayerful student of the, of the word of God will never read or study them study it in vain if she approaches it with a desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory and father we know that nowhere in your word in the 66 books of your word do we find more of Christ's glory than we find in the very last book the book of revelation the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ Now we ask, Father, that you will teach us how to take each and every hour spent in your word, especially in this book of Revelation, and use it to grow spiritually, to use it to grow more into Christ's image. Because we know that there is absolutely no value in going through your word if your word doesn't go through us. Lord, we thank you so much for these women who have come back to this study, those who have been in it before. We thank you for their willingness to return. And we especially thank you for those who have joined with us for the very first time. May each and every one of us be blessed by you in some particular way, according to each particular need this year. And Lord... Should there be someone here, very possibly there could be, someone whom you have divinely guided to this Bible study, someone who has never opened up her heart to you and therefore is yet outside of your fold, but is obviously searching because she would not be here otherwise. Father, if there is someone like that here today, I pray that even this very morning she might know the truth and be set free from the law of sin and death and from the emptiness and from the vanity and from the despair that life apart from you brings. And now, Lord, we ask that you would be in complete control of this next hour, for we ask in your blessed Son's name and for his glory and his glory alone. Amen. Well, as the vast majority of you know, we have spent the last how many years studying the chronological life of Christ? Eight years. And we are now, as a matter of fact, in the 11th year of existence for this ministry, the Living Word Ladies Bible Studies, in its 11th year. I thought about that on the way here this morning, that we began in September of 1987, and here we are, September of 1987. 97. That sounds like 10 years, but if you count it, we're beginning the 11th year. And so we have been studying for the last eight years the chronological life of Jesus Christ, going through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, studying every single word and work of the Lord uh, at his first coming, from his, the time of his incarnation at Bethlehem, to his death at Calvary, and then, of course, on, as we looked at last year, to his resurrection at the Garden Tomb, and then on to his ascension at the Mount of Olives, which is where we ended up, our long eight-year study in May. So for eight years, we have studied Christ's first coming. We were introduced to him as the man of sorrows, who was well acquainted with, what, grief, as you see here in the picture. We were introduced to him as the sacrificial lamb of God, as the suffering servant, the son of God who humbled himself, came from the bliss 
of heaven to humble himself, to become a man, be made in the likeness of man, and to endure the pain and the shame of the cruel cross in order to pay the penalty of both spiritual and physical separation from God on our behalf, on your behalf and on my behalf. Well, as I was praying about and tossing back and forth in my mind all summer long what it was that the Lord wanted us to study next after this long eight-year study of Christ's life, he finally, and I did have a, a, quite a dilemma with this. I went back and forth primarily on two things, the types of Christ and the Revelation, the book of Revelation. Well, he finally made it very clear to me, and he confirmed this decision shortly after I made it, that we should continue with our study of Christ by picking up where we left off. Well, and everybody's thinking we're going to pick up with the book of Acts, right? <laughs> Where did we leave off? We left off, right, with the ascension. We left off, really, with the post-resurrection appearances. Remember, we saw 11 of them. And the very last one, the 11th one, occurred when he ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives on that 40th day following his bodily resurrection from the tomb. And remember, the 11 faithful disciples had stood there, probably with their mouths wide open in amazement, as their Lord defied all known laws of gravity and ascended up into the sky until a a cloud received him out of their sight. Well, it was then, as the apostles were longingly and steadfastly gazing toward heaven, I think some, some of them even hoping that maybe he would just come right back down and set up his kingdom. Well, it was while they were standing there that two men in white apparel appeared. And who were those two men in white apparel? That's our clue. They were angelic messengers. They appeared and they gently rebuked the Lord's disciples by saying to them, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come, important words, in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. That was in Acts 1, verses 10 and 11. And then we discussed the fact that this angelic message is very exciting because of the fact that it means exactly what it says. It means that just as the Lord Jesus arose visibly, did they see him rise? Yes, they did. As he arose visibly before the eyes of men, so will he return visibly. The angel said, in like manner, this same Jesus, this resurrected, glorified Jesus, who you watched ascend, will descend in the same manner. You see, the angels were essentially telling the men that the Lord's first coming was over with. His God-given work of atoning for our sins had been accomplished. He had led a completely sinless life and had therefore qualified to satisfy the payment for sin which a just and a holy God demanded. So it was now time the angels were telling them. It was now time for believers in Christ to look forward to a new hope. And what is that new hope that you and I have? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we learn throughout our study of Christ's life, his first coming had fulfilled many, many, many Old Testament messianic prophecies, hadn't it? I mean, I don't even remember how many, but there were a lot. And how, did, how were they fulfilled? Spiritually or literally? Didn't it say in Micah 5, 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata? Was he actually born in Bethlehem, Ephrata? Yes. And you could go through every one of the um, Messianic prophecies that were to be fulfilled at his first coming, and they were all fulfilled literally and to the very detail. But you know, there are many other prophecies remaining 
throughout the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures. And these are prophecies which will be fulfilled at the Lord's second coming. And because the Bible is never, ever inconsistent with itself, these prophecies having to do with the Lord's second coming will also be fulfilled literally, not spiritually. His first coming prophecies were not fulfilled spiritually or allegorically or whatever term you want to use. They were fulfilled literally. Therefore, all the prophecies having to do with his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom will be fulfilled literally and in the very detail which is given to us in Scripture. So really, if we are to continue our look at Christ's life, and I always like to center Bible teaching on Christ. I mean, he is the sum total of the whole Scripture. So I got very excited. I mean, even if I had done the types of Christ, I was going to center it on Christ. But to continue our chronological look at Christ's life, what we really need to do is go to the place in the Scripture where we find he makes his next post-resurrection appearance. And other than his direct intervention in the life of a man named Saul on the road to Damascus, a man who became Paul, other than that post-resurrection appearance, which I am going to skip over, one day maybe we will do the book of Acts, but other than that, the next time that Christ appeared visibly in a post-resurrected glory, was to the Apostle John, who was in exile for his faith on the Isle of Patmos. And John, at that time, was the only apostle who was still living, and he recorded this magnificent appearance of the glorified Christ, what he had to say to John. He recorded that for us in the book of Revelation. And please say, Revelation. Okay, please. It's not revelations, plural. It's revelation. We'll go over that many times this year until everybody says revelation. And this, of course, is the last book in our New Testament, the final book of 66 books. It is the 66th book in the Bible. And that is going to be the course of our study for this year and possibly on to next year, and who knows. But I don't know yet. I did it the first time in a year. But um, I guess in my old age, I'm slowing down. Because I, as I looked at it, I just decided there would probably be no way we will get through this book in one year. Does that bother you? Is that okay? I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead, and we'll see how fast we progress. But just getting through the seven churches alone, oh, that study is so wonderful. To study the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, I am sure that that will take us at least through Christmas, if not beyond. But I promise you it will be worth every minute that we spend in it because there is so much meat and there is so much practical application for us in the seven churches. Well, in Revelation, not only do we receive a magnificent picture of Christ in his true glory, and majesty after his resurrection and his ascension, but we find that he is no longer the quiet, gentle, humble Lamb of God. But now he is the sovereign judge of the entire universe. He is the lion, not the lamb. He is the lion of the tribe of Ju Judah. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So this is a study which really, if you are a true believer... And I hope all of you are, that you have been born again by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you. If you are a true born-again believer in Jesus Christ, this is a study which is going to really warm your heart because we are going to see our Savior not as he was in his incarnation, but as he is today in heaven in his full glory. We're going to see how he has been ministering to his church throughout the past 2,000 years. And we're going to learn his very thoughts about the church's condition, which may be very convicting. 
And we're also going to see how he is worshipped and how he is glorified in heaven as the myriads and myriads of angelic hosts bow down before him and continuously sing his praises. And furthermore, I think that we're going to be warmed in our hearts and encouraged to view his final, as we view his final triumph over the usurper of this world. And who is that? fellow by the name of Satan, the evil one, and all of his wicked forces of evil. We're going to see Christ triumphing over his age-old enemy, Satan. And this book, the book of Revelation, contains the exciting climax of all of history. It tells us the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. It makes it abundantly clear that the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of how men might mock him, today and how men might scorn his teaching that he is the ultimate victor and consequently those who sincerely believe in him are rightfully called Christians. We have a lot of people out there calling themselves Christians but they're not. Those who are rightly called Christians are also because of Christ they are the ultimate victors in this game called life. We are the overcomers because of Christ. You know, I talked about the fact that today his name is mocked and scorned. I just have to share this with you. When I was at the high school last week, I saw this young boy. And this was not one of your druggy-looking teenagers. This was a regular little kind of chubby boy with a short haircut. You know, looked like a nice, wholesome farm boy. Comes walking out of the school with this T-shirt that had an American flag on the front of it. And some kind of a strange symbol in, instead of the stars, some kind of a lightning-looking symbol, which I suspected looked satanic, but I wasn't real sure. Anyway, there was a car in front of me with two adults in it, and they said, let's see what the back says. So this little boy turned around to show them his back, and when he did, I could see it. And on the back, I couldn't believe it. It just made my blood boil. It said, American by birth antichrist by choice and I just thought wow what is this world coming to do you know what the two adults in front of me did they laughed they said hey that's cool I was horrified shortly thereafter my daughter was taking a test so I was out there for a long time and got an eyeful shortly thereafter there came out three young boys now these did look like your druggy types one of them had his pants down around his, the, the belt was down here. And his whole rear end was showing. He had white boxer shorts with red polka dots on. I mean, it was horrible. And it was like he was, you know, accentuating, walking in front of me just to really get me upset. And uh, he looked like he was glazed over, but on his T-shirt... I don't know why they're allowed to wear T-shirts like this to school and you can't wear, you know, can't carry a Bible or whatever. This T-shirt said, going to hell. I mean, like they're proud of it. So we live in the latter days. I am thoroughly, thoroughly convinced of it. We are living in the last days, and that's one of the reasons the Lord really impressed on my heart to study Revelation. It seems like almost everybody else is studying it. <laughs> I guess maybe speaking to everybody at the same time. I've heard of more churches, including this one, that's studying the book of Revelation. Every time I turn on the radio, somebody is teaching through the book of Revelation. When I went to the Word of Life Bible Conference, right after I decided that this is what the Lord wanted us to do, who do you think the speakers were? Well, they were Dr. Walvoord and Jimmy DeYoung, who are both well-known for um, prophecy, and they both taught the book of Revelation. So that was sort of confirmation that this is what the Lord wanted me to do. Anyway, so we are overcomers, fortunately, if we are in Christ. We, like him, will be overcomers over this wicked world. And this is the book which finalizes all of the wonderful promises and purposes for God's human children, those who belong to him. It's a book which tells us what God has in store for this world. So that as we see these things unfolding before us, as we see things getting increasingly Worse and more wicked, that you and I, as believers, we don't need to fear. 
But we can take rest in the fact that God's program is right on target. It's a book which should encourage the Christian. It should encourage us to know that God is sovereign, that everything, no matter how awful it looks, is unfolding exactly as he predicted hundreds, thousands of years ago. He knows the end from the beginning. He's in control. It should encourage us to prepare ourselves so that we not be naive about the events and the circumstances which are happening around us or be caught ashamed at his appearing when he does come for his church. And furthermore, the book of Revelation is a book which will give the true believer an even more confident faith with which he may face the political and the social and the religious chaos which is developing and progressing all around us. This is going to be more of a current study, current events type of a study than we had with the life of Christ. We will be talking about things that are going on on the world scene today. And as they happen, I'm sure things will happen this year, and we will talk about them. We need to know where we are. Remember the Lord, what he said to the religious leaders of his day? You couldn't even read the signs of the times. You could read the signs in the sky, and you knew if tomorrow would be rainy or sunny, but you didn't even know the signs of the times. I think he says the same thing to us. We need to know how to read the signs of the times, and they're happening. We're in them. We're in the latter days, I am convinced. Other than the book of Daniel, which we did study, it was our first year study. If you want to get it, some point in time it really helps to know revelation by having the background of the book of daniel we have it available in the foyer if you want to do it in your free time but anyway um, other than the book of daniel there has been no other book of the bible which has been so attacked and misunderstood and criticized than which one the book of revelation and the primary reason for this is satanic Because the book of Revelation predominantly deals with prophecy and with the future, and because it exposes Satan as the wicked fraud that he is, he, Satan, has done his very best to attempt to discredit this book and to deceive men into believing all kinds of falsehoods about it. For example, you can't possibly understand the book of Revelation. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? I've had religious clergy tell me that, that you can't possibly understand it. That's Satan's deception. You can understand it. I don't care if it has a lot of symbolism in it. The Bible explains its own symbolism. You use the Bible to interpret the Bible. There's no problem with understanding the book of Revelation. It is probably one of the easiest laid out books for an outline that there is in all of the scripture. And we'll look at that probably next week. But Satan does not want people to have an understanding of Christ's true power and his majesty, nor does he want them to know about his own treachery or of Christ's ultimate victory over him and over the world system which he rules. And therefore, he has attempted to do everything, literally everything he could possibly do, and he has a lot of power, to keep men from reading and studying and believing the book of Revelation. Even godly men, some of our godly founders of different Protestant denominations have said that the book of Revelation should not have been put in the Bible. So Satan has done a good job at deceiving us, even as Christians. Now, for us as believers, there are a number of reasons why we should study Revelation and not avoid it, as many churches and Bible teachers and pastors tend to do. First of all, did you know that one-fourth of Scripture is prophetic? One-fourth of the Scripture is prophetic. Or it was, at least at the time it was written. That's a big chunk of your Bible. 25% is prophetic. Therefore, to avoid teaching prophecy for whatever reason would mean, 
And I've heard people say, you know, I don't like to teach prophecy. I don't think we should teach prophecy. But to do that is to avoid teaching one-fourth of the Scripture. Well, someone might say in argument of this, they might say, you know, a great deal of the prophecy of the Scripture that you're talking about, this one-fourth, has already been fulfilled. And that's true. Yet, did you know there are still 1,527 Old Testament prophecies and 319 New Testament prophecies concerning the events and the circumstances of the Lord's second coming, which uh, remain unfulfilled, his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom. That's a lot of scripture that is yet unfulfilled. As a matter of fact, of the 333 or thereabout prophecies concerning Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, Only 109 of those 333 had to do with his first coming. So that leaves 224 to yet be fulfilled at his second coming. Now, all this is in your notes, so you don't have to worry about writing it down. The Lord himself, in the gospel accounts, personally talked about his personal return a total of 21 times. And in the New Testament, you and I as believers are warned to be ready for his return a total of about 50 times. So the signs, as we talked about a minute ago, the signs of the times, thank you. I always start to have a nose run as soon as I get behind a microphone. I must be allergic to the metal. The signs of the times are on a fast track pointing as never before to the final days predicted in Bible prophecy. God's prophetic time clock is ticking away at an almost almost like a time bomb. It is ticking away so quickly. Israel is becoming the cup of trembling which she was foretold that she would become by the prophet Zechariah and in Zechariah 12:2. She's already in her short 50-year history, she, um, since she was resurrected as a nation, she has already commanded worldwide attention. She's a, a, a demanded or commanded the attention of uh, top-level politicians of every country, the United Nations, of military planners, of economists, of sociologists, and even of the religionists of her day. That's one of the big problems over there is the religionists. So the media's eyes, is is there any day practically you could turn on your television set and watch the news and Israel isn't in the news? The media's eyes and the media's ears are focused on this most troubling place on planet earth. She is literally becoming that cup of trembling because everyone fears and inwardly seems to know, and for good reason, that this is where, the land of Israel, is where World War III is most likely to break out. And that, of course, is exactly what the Bible predicts, isn't it, with Armageddon. I don't think there could possibly be a World War IV, because World War III would wipe out the world. World War III, I believe, is our battle of Armageddon, as detailed in the Scripture. Apostasy, what does apostasy mean? It literally means a falling away. A falling away from what? A falling away from the truth of the gospel message. So apostasy and then the subsequent, when the church falls away from the truth of the gospel, the subsequent consequence of that is a one-world ecumenical church movement. All of these things are happening. A one-world church movement. These are further evidences. The apostasy of our churches and the ecumenical movement are evidences that the latter days are upon us. The prophet Daniel, by divine inspiration, stated that at the end of the age, there would be tremendous growth in knowledge. He said that in Daniel 12 too. Daniel was written about 600 years B.C., But he said in the latter days there would be this tremendous increase in knowledge. Well, as you probably know, 
I even used my computer before I came to Bible study this morning to email my daughter in school. But with the rise of computers, the age of cyberspace has hit us like a storm. Knowledge has exploded with an impact that would have really shocked, totally shocked the people of Daniel's day, back in the day when they had to handwrite every book that they had. And it would have really shocked even just the people of 50 years ago, which includes a lot of us. Is it shocking you? It's shocking me. I can't keep up with it. I'm pretty much computer illiterate. I just know how to do what I have to do, but there is so much that can be done. I've only scratched the surface. The last decade of this 20th century, in fact, has has brought about such changes in the gathering together and in the dissemination of knowledge that even the men developing it are amazed and can't quite keep up with it. Technology is inflaming man's same lust Foreknowledge, which began back in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent convinced his first human victim that she could be as what? As God, simply by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Internet now links together all but the very most remote places on this planet with virtually instant communication. Capability. Speaking of email, I can email my missionary cousin over in Belgium, and he gets my message within, I don't know if it's seconds or minutes, but he gets it right away and can answer me right back. That's just amazing. The peoples of the world are therefore networking together to become one world. As the utopian uh, global planners have long dreamed you know, they, they believe utopia will finally come on planet Earth when we have this new world order, when all men are joined together in a brotherhood of man. What it is, though, is a return to the Babel Tower builders of Genesis 11 because men are again attempting to create a world of their own design. And now they even have one language. Did you know that? You know what that language is called, generically? Computer ease. I made up that word. But they can, the world can talk to itself, to each other, to every nation through the computer. It's the language of the computer. We live in a uh, generation which is determined to deny the reality and the absolutes of the word of God and chooses instead to do what seems right in its own eyes. And what's right in its own eyes? Just about anything and everything. The world wants to create its own version of reality. It doesn't like God's version, so it invents its own. Now, because knowledge has increased at a pace which it is really impossible for us to even grasp, man has deceived himself into believing that the new age dream of evolution to godhood has arrived. And this false belief is creating a nightmare beyond comprehension as each man, as we just said, goes about creating a world of his own choosing because he alone, he says, has the right to determine his own parameter of existence. And truth is whatever he wants it to be. If there's no absolutes, truth is whatever he chooses for it to be. After all, he says... He's God. Each individual is their own God, and therefore they can call their own shots. They have their rights to call their own shots. So it's becoming an age of moral and ethical relativism. There are no absolutes because truth is whatever a person wants it to be. And consequently, what do we have? Sexual promiscuity, homosexuality has come out of the closet big time. We have pornography everywhere, on the Internet system, everywhere you turn. We've got the killing of the unborn and the wanting to kill the the aged. Um, And because of all of this, AIDS and other strange and very grotesque diseases, such as those that are spawned by the 
E. coli bacteria and the Ebola viral strains. My mother actually had a friend who got that Ebola where it eats you from the inside within a matter of two days. This young man in his 40s was dead. He was eaten alive from the inside. Awful, awful, grotesque diseases. These are threatening our world. And while all of this is going on, sounds kind of negative, doesn't it? It is. But for a Christian, you don't have to be negative. You don't have to worry because the Lord is coming back soon and he's going to take us out of here. Furthermore, it's proof that he's in control because he called the shots. We don't call him. Man doesn't call him. He called the shots. He said things would get like this, and they are. He was right on target, as he always is. But while all of this bad news is going on, Russia right now is reeling. She's like a mother bear who's staggering and very hungry. She might be free for the moment from communism, but she is dangerously unsettled and very restless. Her people are hungry. They're hungry for food, and they're hungry for Western materialism. And many of Russia's leaders approve of a threat southward into the Middle East, which is exactly what the Bible predicts. We'll look at this year. Russia will eventually do in the last days. And then there are alliances being formed between Iran and other Islamic militarists. And these are also sending up strong warning bells of troublesome times ahead. I almost don't like to watch the news because it, it is so negative and it is scary. I always have to remind myself that God is in control. And we're going to discuss more about the Middle East situation as we go through this year also. And then China, the great dragon to the far east who has been silent for so long. She's finally woken up, and she is glaring lustfully at Western wealth. Although China possesses only 22% of the world's population, or not only, although she does possess 22% of the world's population, that's a pretty big, almost one-fourth of the world is Chinese, yet her people live on only 7% of the world's land mass. So they're pretty crowded over there in China. And furthermore, her arable land resources, you know, land that she can grow food on, is declining at the rate of 725,000 acres per year due to erosion and other factors. Furthermore, also fitting into Latter-day prophecy, the European Union has as its aim not just a common market to make uh, trade easier and commerce easier, but she has on her agenda total integration to form one solid block to reach world unity. You know, only a united Europe, which we do have now, my cousin who I said is over there, they could, without a passport, they can now pass into all the countries, and they have, they have a common currency. All these things are happening, which people, prophecy teachers predicted this would happen about 50 years ago. Well, it's happened now. It's happened. Um, a united Europe is the only one that will qualify for end-time world rulership. The Antichrist is one who comes out of a united Europe. And the unique system which is now being established corresponds precisely to Daniel's prophetic word regarding that fourth revived world empire, the revived Roman Empire. Then builders and proponents of the new world order, we talked about a little bit, are also unwittingly setting the stage for the fulfillment of biblical prophecy as they call for all peoples of the world to join together as one brotherhood of man as we enter into what they call the new age. And we are going into a new age according to the signs of the zodiac. <clears throat> We're going from the age of um, Pisces, which, what is the symbol for Pisces? A fish. 
What do you associate the sign of a fish with? The church age. We are about to enter out of the age of the fish and into the age of Aquarius. Remember that? The hippies would say, this is the age of Aquarius. Well, that's what we're going into, according to the Zodiac. <clears throat> I can't sing. You've just found that out. Now, this new age movement <clears throat> proposes religious amalgamation through ecumenicism. It preaches Satan's age-old lie that that um, there are many ways to God, not just one way. And therefore, Christians, especially these born-again Christians, who say that Jesus Christ is the only way, they are, what's their favorite word today? Intolerant. They are intolerant. I've been accused of that twice this past week, of being intolerant. Yet Jesus did say, if you are going to believe in Jesus Christ, you have to believe in what he said. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Worship of Mother Earth. And I got an illustration for this when I was out in New Mexico, and I'll share that with you later on in the year. Saw the actual worship of Mother Earth. And other pagan practices, they are flourishing and being fertilized by a reborn interest in psychic and occultic powers. Sorceries are part of our culture's daily diet, and drug and rock music um, are particularly opening up our young people to every kind of seducing demonic influence. And then add to all of this the fact that many nations now have the frightening distinction of having the nuclear capability to destroy the world. That's a scary thought. Even nations like Iran. And add to that the concern of astronomers regarding the increased amount of asteroids and other heavenly debris which are approaching our planet in dimensions and numbers that present ever deeper dangers to life here on this earth. And add to that the ecologists' concern that we are depleting our planet's vital resources to maintain life. We add all these things and many, many others. Then we realize why God's word predicts that there would come a time when conditions here on earth would be so frightful that men's hearts would fail them for fear. We read that in Luke 21, 26. The Lord Jesus himself said that. However, for the Christian, there need not be any fear. For God hath not given us, what? The spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't need to have fear, ladies. Don't get fearful to come back next week. <laughs> we can have a sound mind. We can have that peace that passes all understanding because we know who's in control. We know him. He dwells within us. And he is in control. And he is going to take us out of here before the worst comes. I believe that. And I'll tell you why I believe it as we get into all of that. But we don't need to fear for all the things that are taking place around us at all because he is in control and he is working all of this evil out for his own good. Isn't that what he said through, through Joseph in Genesis 50-20? The Genesis 50-20 principle, man means it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is going to work it all out for his good purposes. And it's also exciting to see, for me it is, to see things coming together in the way God predicted them through his prophets. Because these things indicate to us that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is very near at hand. And having a proper understanding of the book of Revelation should really motivate Christians to live out their lives in consistent dedication and service, and should also motivate us to be ever mindful of the fact that Christ really could come for us at any one moment. His return is imminent. Further, knowing his marvelous plan to redeem his church and the awful, awful tribulation 
which awaits those who do not know him should also inspire us to be more concerned for the souls of men and women, boys and girls who don't know Jesus. And we'll have to go through these awful times of tribulation. And if they don't come in our lifetime, these people will go to an eternal hell. But then, of course, there are the scoffers about whom Peter forewarned us back in Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. He said that these scoffers would be walking after their own lusts, and they would come in the last days, and they would very sarcastically say, in effect, where is the promise of Christ's coming? That those crazy Christians, those fanatics, those intolerants keep talking about. They've been saying that now for 2,000 years, and look, Nothing has ever changed. It's the same as it has been since the beginning. What a joke. He's not coming back. But if any of you happen to be on the verge of maybe being one of these scoffers, let me just remind you about those who perished in the flood and who scoffed Noah for 120 years while he looked very foolish building an ark, nowhere even close to a large body of water and one that had never rained before. And if you are one of these scoffers, let me remind you that there is, or warn you, that there is a particular book in the Bible which you do need to read because it contains warnings far, far more serious than you can possibly imagine. And that book, of course, is the book of Revelation. And it predicts the climax of the ages and the sequence of events leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. And if you will seriously consider the fact that all of God's predictions, as we said earlier, concerning Christ's first coming were fulfilled literally and with precision accuracy, then you should be warned that Likewise, his predictions with regard to his second coming are going to be fulfilled literally and with precision accuracy. So when we read about all these judgments, they're not just spiritual judgments. They are literally going to happen. But the most solemn reason why the scoffers and the skeptics should read the book of Revelation is because it explains where every single human soul is going to spend eternity. So we should study Revelation because a study of prophecy is important. That's the only one I've covered so far, of the reasons we should study. We should study it because one-fourth of the scripture is prophetic. Um, Revelation reveals God's plan for the future, and understanding the future does help us live more effectively for today. But more importantly and significantly, the book of Revelation is not just the revelation of future events. It's not just a peer into the future, you know, kind of like through a crystal ball. It's not just a look into a crystal ball, you know, to satisfy our curiosity. More importantly, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the name of the book. It is not the revelation of St. John the Divine. Your Bible is wrong when it says that. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We cannot divorce the person from the prophecy because without the person of Christ, there could be and there would be no fulfillment of prophecy. He is the chief subject as well as the author of this book. He's the exalted high priest who ministers to his church in chapters 2 and 3. He is the glorified Lamb of God who reigns from heaven's throne in chapters 4 and 5. He is the judge of all the earth in chapters 6 to 18. He is the conquering King of kings and Lord of lords of chapter 19. And he too is the beloved bridegroom who ushers his bride, the church, into the magnificent heavenly city where she will dwell with him forever and ever. When Christians study the book of Revelation, you see, they get to know its author better. And that's what this whole Bible study is about, getting to know the author of the book, the Lord Jesus Christ, because to know him better is to love him better, and to love him better is to serve him better. Exactly. Another reason to study Revelation is because it is a book or the book which consummates 
or completes the circle of Bible truths. J. Vernon McGee said this in his commentary. This book, quote, this book is like a great union station where the great trunk lines of prophecy come in from other portions of Scripture. Revelation does not originate, but it consummates. It is imperative to a right understanding of the book to be able to trace each great subject of prophecy from the first reference to the terminal, end of quote. In other words, Revelation completes the great truths and doctrines which were begun back in, what's the book of beginnings? Genesis, and also in other passages of the scripture. There is a very interesting comparative study. I'm going to skip over it now, but you'll see some of it in your notes. A very interesting comparative study which can be done between the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible, between Genesis and Revelation. Revelation is the book of endings. Genesis is the book of beginnings. I'll just give you a couple examples, and then we'll move right on. In Genesis, for example, we have the marriage of Adam to Eve. And in Revelation, we have the marriage of the second Adam to his church. Um, Then in Genesis, for example, we are told that God created the sun and the moon and the day and the night. And in Revelation, we're told that there will be no more night. It says, and the city had no need of a sun, neither of a moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Who's going to be the light in the new world? Jesus himself. He is the light of the world, right? And then in Genesis, we're told about man's first rebellion against God. In Revelation, we're told of man's final rebellion against God. In Genesis, we're told about the first murderer. Who was he? Cain. In uh, Genesis, I mean in Revelation, we're told of a city where there shall in no way enter into it anything that defileth, neither he that worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Won't that be wonderful to get to heaven and not have any more crime? wonderful. Genesis reveals the tragic sorrow that resulted from sin. Revelation promises that all tears will be wiped away from the redeemed. Uh, Genesis introduces Satan for the first time as the tempter of man, and Revelation shows the final doom of Satan. Genesis promises that Satan's head will be bruised. Revelation shows him totally bruised and defeated and finally sentenced forever. In Genesis, the old world perished through a flood. And in Revelation, the new earth will be purified through what? Fire, exactly. So those are just some. I skipped a bunch. So the book of Revelation is a book of consummation. It is a book of endings. And therefore, it was very appropriately placed at the end of the Bible. It is the capstone of the entire revelation of God given to us in his holy scripture. Really, without it, the Bible would be an incomplete book. It would be incomplete. We need the book of Revelation. Those who said that Revelation should never have been included in the Bible were wrong. And we'll find out more about that, especially if you read the last few verses of the book of Revelation. You'll see how wrong they were. Well, another reason to study the book of Revelation, I'm almost through, is because of the special blessing which is promised to those who read it. I don't know if you do have your Bible. If you want to look at Revelation 1-3, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, although there is blessing in reading any portion of God's Word, this is the only book, do you hear me? The only book of the 66 books in the Bible, it is the only one in the Bible which specifically promises a special blessing to those who read and hear and keep its words. Isn't that interesting? The only one in all the Bible. I mean, you do get a blessing from reading any portion of God's word, but here is a specific blessing promised to those who read this particular book. It's interesting that of all those 66 books, this is the one which is least understood. 
and the one which is least studied. Do you know that it is estimated that as many as 80% of pastors have never, ever, even in seminary, seriously For the benefit of those of you who are listening to this via cassette and were not in the sanctuary as we were teaching this lesson, I just wanted to explain that at this point, all the power, the sound and the electricity went out in the church, even though it was a beautiful day outside, there was no electrical storm or anything. And I wanted to explain this so that you would understand the next words that I speak. We need to really pray as a group because Satan does not want us to study this book. God does. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we just need to pray for say to be bound. But um, even that year, I did wind up in the hospital. So would you just please pray? And that was a, it was a satanic attack. I really know it was. Anyway, so <laughs> that was interesting. Um, 80% of pastors have never seriously studied it. Yet it is the only book in the Bible which begins, there you see it, in 1-3 and ends, and you can see that over in 22-7, chapter 22, verse 7, the only one that begins and ends with a promise of blessing for those who will read and keep what is in it. You know, the book of Revelation is not a mystery. Please don't have that in your mind. It is not a mystery which is impossible for us to understand. It, like all scripture, has been divinely given to us for our instruction in righteousness and for our edification. And therefore, the Christian who avoids studying it is really robbing himself of God's blessing, the blessing God wants to give him. He's also being disobedient in not studying and reading all scripture. We should teach the full counsel of God, not pick and choose what we want to study. And yet another reason for studying the book of Revelation is the fact that it gives us a clearer detail about the future than any other book in the Bible. John, the Apostle John, under divine inspiration, described for us the government operation of the Antichrist, who we'll be talking about, and also his second-hand man, known as the false prophet. And he tells us about all the horrible and the deadly events of the seven-year tribulation period. And John described under divine Inspiration. He describes for us in this book the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in chapter 19. I always love to finally get to chapter 19 after we finish all those judgments. And he tells us about the ultimate end of Satan. And he also writes about the future glorification of the church, the church and the future position of the saints. And everyone who is a born-again Christian is a saint. So live up to it. It's always hard for me to think of myself as a saint because I don't act like it all the time, only when I'm in front of you. And we are given the most beautiful, and even then I fail, don't I? Uh, and we are given the most beautiful description in this book of our eternal dwelling place in heaven. So it is very sad and very tragic, and truly it is a work of Satan as I think we just had demonstrated, that so many churches and so many pastors and so many Bible teachers and so many Sunday school teachers and whoever else have done exactly what God told them not to do. Through John, of course. If you look at Revelation 22.10, if you have that open, you don't have to, I'll read it to you. But in Revelation 22.10, God said to John, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You see, unlike the book of Daniel, which God had instructed Daniel to seal up, I think that's in Daniel 12:4. God told Daniel, seal up this book until the latter days. Unlike that, Revelation, from when it was written, was not to be sealed or concealed because God said the time is at hand. They were in the church age. The church age is the last age before the Lord's return, other than the tribulation period. So of all the books, well, not even if you talk about the rapture as part of his return, it is the last days. 
Oh, you didn't understand me, but we will as we get into it. So of all of the books for today's age, especially now that I do believe we are in the latter days, and I'm not the only one who says that. If you turn on BBN, you'll hear other men preaching and teaching the same thing. Not other men. I'm not a man. But you'll hear men saying the same thing. Revelation, of all the books, Revelation is one book in particular which should be read and studied. So I do hope and pray and trust that you are ready for a blessing this year. Because I can promise you based upon God's promise. I can't promise you because of anything in me or any way that I'll teach. In spite of me, you will get a blessing because that is what God promises. If you will remain with us through the course of this study. And if you will be willing to have open ears to hear what Christ has to say to you, to all of us, through his servant John. But let me warn you ahead of time, in case any of you want to drop out now, now would be the time to do it. I don't want you to, and God doesn't want you to. But I do need to warn you that what we will be learning will not always be easy to hear. Because some of the things that we are going to be looking at will attack our preconceptions and some of our traditions and some of our previous interpretations, possibly. And our, if we have them, our liberal views of tolerance of everything that calls itself Christianity. Because let me tell you that everything that calls itself Christianity is not necessarily Christianity. So if you are not ready to be challenged with regard to some of these things, then I do need to tell you and warn you ahead of time that you may get angry with me. And it wouldn't be the first time. But I must be true to the very best of my ability. And I don't ever get up here without having done a great deal of research. This is the third time that I have gone through this uh, book, verse by verse, that I must stand before God and to the very best of my ability and my understanding, teach the truth. It is always my prayer that I can teach the truth in love. But I do need to teach the truth with boldness as well. And so you may get angry with me. I don't know. I hope not. But I want you to know up front that I love you as individuals. God loves the individual always. But there are systems that he hates. And there are types of dead churches. And there are types of cults. Even churches that call themselves Christian but they are really cults. And there are ecumenical movements, and there are economic systems, and there are apostate liberal systems, and there are anti-Semitic system, systems, which he opposes. And therefore, I too oppose them. And I will, to the best of my ability, expose them. Because one day I am not going to stand directly accountable to any one of you but I am going to stand directly accountable to God himself and to give an account for what I did with the truth that I knew. And so with that, what I can again promise you is that if you will have ears and hearts that are willing to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say through his word, not through my opinion. I will never, ever, some, if I give you an opinion, I will always tell you it's an opinion. But what I want to do is see what the scripture says, what the word of God teaches, what the Holy Spirit has to say through us, through, to us through his word. If you will have ears, and I think it's seven or eight times Christ says that in this book, for those who have ears that are willing to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches, then I promise you, based on God's promise, that you will be blessed. And I am excited about this year and possibly next year. I love the book of Revelation. It is the, one, the first book I ever studied after I became a Christian. 
and it confirmed my faith like nothing else, especially when I studied chapters 2 and 3. I fell on my face and cried for hours because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God wrote this book. No doubt about it. So I'm very excited about what is in store for us. I am also very excited because I don't know that I'll be able to finish this book because the Lord might return before. I hope so. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of your people. Thank you for their attention. Thank you for their attentive ears. And Father, I do ask in keeping with your promise that you bless each and every one of us this year, that we will be all willing to look at the scripture together, to learn together, to be convicted together, to rejoice together, to sorrow together, most of all to be conformed into your image together, to love you more so that we serve you better this year. We know you're going to bless us if we'll stick it out. And I pray, Father, for each and every woman here that that you will keep them healthy, keep them strong so that they can continue to come each and every week. Keep me strong, Lord, and help us to do our job to battle Satan and the wicked forces and to tell people the truth that they need to know, the truth that will set them free. Father, we ask these things in the name of the Lamb of God. Now, anoint Dawn as she sings for us. Minister to us through her beautiful voice and her song. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.